0: Mark 8 <coughs> Excuse me. Mark 8 starting at verse 1 During those days another large crowd gathered since they had nothing to eat Jesus called his disciples to him and said I have compassion for these people they've already been with me 3 days and have nothing to eat If I send them home hungry they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present, and having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Delmanatha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. (coughs) Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, Seven. He said to them, Do you still not understand? Here ends our reading.
1: Thank you, Ben. Uh, Keep your Bibles open. Um, I know it's a a familiar story for some, uh, and I know we read a story just like it not that long ago. Um, but the details matter, and there's some important differences and nuances, and you'll be able to pick them up if you can follow along as we work our way through it this morning. Uh, I feel like when I was a kid, um, I was always losing stuff. Uh, I don't know if that, I think it's a kind of a kid thing because I see it in our own kids now. Uh, you know when you're young, you' just you're busy and you're distracted and life is just kind of messy. It, it's hard to remember where you put everything, isn't it? Um, I feel like a lot of my childhood was spent wandering around asking, "Have you seen whatever it is today?" Uh, of course, this provides a great opportunity for mums to step up and be mums. Uh, and I don't—you you probably recall the conversations you had as a kid, and perhaps now have with your kids. Have you had a look? Yes, mum. Have you had a proper look? Yes, mum. Have you looked in your room? Yes, mum. And then comes out, then comes out the big gun. Have you had a mum look? Well, I'm not a mum. How can I possibly have a mum look? And yet, you know how it plays out, don't you? You know how this story goes. Mum goes to have a look. And mum always finds it. I, it's, I, it's, I swear, it's a, comp- it's a conspiracy. Uh, and if not a conspiracy, it must be magic. Uh, mum looks are incredible. Mum looks find things that no one else can find. They see things that no one else can see. It's, it's magic. Uh, isn't it incredible Isn't it incredible? Something can be right in front of your eyes uh, and you can't see it. You still can't see it. You need to have a mum look. Well, it happens today in our passage, doesn't it? Uh, Something amazing, something incredible takes place, something that's really quite clear and quite obvious. It happens literally before the eyes of the characters in this story and yet they miss it. They miss it. They don't see it. They don't understand it. And so what we're going to do this morning, we're going to ask, well, first of all, what is that obvious thing? What is it all about and what does it mean? But secondly, how is it that people miss it? How is it that people can't see what's taking place? And what we're going to do is we're going to to have my best effort, our best effort at a mum look at this passage, just in case there's something that we might have missed, that we might not have picked up on. And that we should see. So that's what we're going to do here this morning. Uh, If you've been here for a while, if you've been following through this series, the passage feels a bit like deja vu, doesn't it? You're like, I feel like we've done this before. And you'd be right, we did it like a few weeks ago, just one chapter ago. Uh, Jesus fed another huge crowd back then. And if you remember that passage, you'll see there's a whole bunch of similarities, a whole heap of things happen in exactly the same way, but... There's some differences and the differences are important. Let me just read those first 10 verses again uh, and then we'll pick out a few things. Uh, From verse 1, During those days another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present and having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. There's some similarities, isn't there? We've got a a huge crowd of people who've gathered to see Jesus, a huge crowd that are ill-prepared, that are getting hungry. Uh, They're in the wilderness. It's not like they're just down the road from the nearest supermarket. They're, They're in a remote place and there's no place to get food. And Jesus has compassion on them. It's very similar, but there's a few differences, isn't there? There's not a difference with the disciples. The disciples still don't know what to expect, do they? I mean, they've seen a healing, only a, cha- a feeding, only a chapter ago, but still, they they see the problem as insurmountable. How are we going to feed so many in such a remote place? The place, though, is different, isn't it? Uh, last time when Jesus fed. Uh, a, a huge multitude it happened in Israel in, in near Galilee and they were Jews but now we're told Jesus is in the place he had been previously and we saw last week that that was in the Decapolis which is in a gentile area uh, outside of Israel and so most of this crowd are not Jews uh, they're predominantly a gentile crowd the number is different we we see 4000 here not 5000 uh, previously in the the, the Feeding that happened before, it was 5,000 explicitly men who were there, plus women and children. Uh, Here it's 4,000 people, despite what the NIV says. It's people, not men. So it's a smaller crowd. Uh, And Jesus has seven loaves and a few fish to work with. Whereas before there were 12 basketfuls left over, now there's seven. Uh, Again, it's important. Twelve is a symbol of fullness. The, The 12 tribes of the Jews, they were all catered for there. Seven indicates the fullness of the Gentiles, seven being a number commonly thought to, for, for, uh, to, to indicate completion or fullness or perfection. And all these differences, all these details are important because they, they come together and build the point that Mark is trying to paint for us here. We see it in the, the question that the disciples um, ask of Jesus. Where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? The word feed there is really unusual. Uh, The word feed is actually satisfy them. Where can anyone get enough bread to satisfy this crowd? Where? In Jesus. Clearly in Jesus because Jesus provides for them and miraculously these small loaves and fishes feed this enormous crowd and what do we read in verse 8? The people ate and were satisfied. Last week we saw that Jesus was coming indeed for the Gentiles as well as the Jews. He he had come to bring the word of life to them and now we see that confirmed again. Previously the Jews in all of their fullness were catered for and fed and now the Gentiles in all their fullness are being catered for. They come hungry but they leave satisfied. And there's enough left over indicated by the number 7 for the rest, for the complete number that Jesus has come to. He has come to satisfy and to fill. Uh, When I was young, our family had a favourite place to go out for dinner. Uh, We often went to the the local Chinese place, Hung Fat. It's a great Chinese restaurant name, Hung Fat, and it was the quintessential Chinese place. It was very small, it was a bit dingy and looked a bit run down. It had that tiny little kitchen that was kind of half in the restaurant and half not. Uh, and it was my family's favourite, but it was not my favourite. Uh, I hated Chinese food because Chinese food had so much vegetables in it cooked vegetables, baby corn, and broccoli, and, like cauliflower. Who needs that? Like, you don't. It's not good. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Um, not well, admittedly, but I enjoyed it. Uh, and I filled up on stuff that didn't have vegetables in it prawn crackers and fried meat. <laughs> They can do wonderful things with fried meat—sweet and sour, and honey chicken, and beef, and pork—and it was amazing. I had a plate of crackers and meat, and I was happy. But here's the funny thing: it didn't matter how much I ate there. I could eat till I was completely stuffed. It didn't matter how much I ate. Within an hour, I'd be hungry again. Uh, something about not having veggies—it's it's almost like they're important. Just, it just still confuses me to this day. It it always left me unsatisfied. It didn't matter how much I could have of that. I would be hungry again. I would need to be filled again. Not Jesus. There is none of that in him. Those who come to him hungry and needy and empty leave from him filled and satisfied completely and perfectly. Uh, Not because he's got some neat tricks. This physical sign points... To a spiritual reality. That's what it's all about here. 700 years before this ever happened, uh, God offered an invitation. He spoke of a day when He was going to do this. These are the words He used in Isaiah 55. He said, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. And Jesus fulfills. If you are spiritually hungry, spiritually thirsty, if you feel like you're looking for something or wanting something, if you feel like you're needing answers or searching for substance in life, then it is found in Jesus. It is found in Him. All of that, all that you need, and so much more in abundance. And, and you do need it. You really need it. Uh, Snickers got it right. You're not you when you're hungry. I mean, we know what we know what that's like when you're physically hungry. We, we know what hangry is like. You know you're irritable and you're frustrated. You're hard to get along with. You easily give up. It's true spiritually as well. It's not just a physical phenomenon. It's true for us spiritually too. We, we get frustrated. We're searching. We find ourselves feeling empty and irritated. We find the things that we like in this world feeling colourless and empty. We, we don't receive the joy in them that we, we want. That's spiritual hunger. And Jesus says, Come to him because he alone can satisfy. Listen listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Listen to him, heed his words. He says to you, follow me. That is, put your life on his path, go after him. He says, believe, that is, trust him, hold on to, grab on to what he's saying. And he will fill you. He will satisfy you not in a way that you'll be hungry again in in days or weeks or months, but in a way that you'll be filled and satisfied forever. There is good news for you on offer in him. But that good news also carries a challenge. If you have come to him, as many of you here have, then the challenge is, do you really believe what this is telling us? Do you really believe that he alone, that he uh, alone fills and satisfies? I mean we're very good at saying it. We, we, we even sung it last week, in Christ alone. But it's easy to say. Are we good at living it? Are we good at doing it? Can we live as if all we need is really in him? Let's not beat around the bush. It is hard, isn't it? I mean, we actually live in a society which is underpinned by a belief that more than the next thing is what life is all about. You no, know, we, we even say it, don't we? When I get a job, then. When I graduate, then. When we have kids or when the kids move out of house, when I retire, then. When that comes, at that stage, I'll have made it. <laughs> Until, of course, you know, the next stage comes along. But what we're told here is actually we already have made it, we already have it because we have Jesus and all that we need in him is satisfied by him. He's as much as we need because he's in abundance. Uh, I think sometimes it takes actually losing something to to see clearly where we've been finding satisfaction in other things. Uh, You see it in guys sometimes. Uh, When guys retire or lose their ability to work or lose their job for for whatever reason, uh, we sometimes see it, don't we? You know, the the structure behind life, the meaning behind, intent behind life is gone and it's very easy to end up in a really dark place. You see it sometimes when a person's health fails or when new limitations are put on them and all of a sudden they're they're asking questions, but I was always so healthy, I was always so active. What What does life look like now? Now it is okay to grieve losing those things and other things but is part of our angst when that happens coming from the fact that we're actually relying on them to satisfy us and relying on things to fill us instead of Jesus? Here's a question to ask yourself. If you believe that Jesus truly, that Jesus alone satisfies and fills, if your belief in that was to grow stronger by one, say you went from a seven out of ten to an eight out of ten, if that was to happen, what would change in your life? How might your life look different if you were to believe that more strongly? How would the way you change? Uh, how would the way you plan your life change? How would the way you chase your dreams change? how the way you save your money change Jesus and Jesus alone satisfies after all we're told throughout the bible he alone is the source of life he alone is the one who gives life at the cost of his own life and if he does that then he alone can give you the full and satisfied life that you need It is an incredible miracle that's just happened so plainly it's related to us here. And the spiritual truth it points to is, is even far more amazing than the physical sign. And yet, yet it goes down like a lead balloon, doesn't it? Look at what happens. We go from this great high, this wonderful event, to really what's one of the lowest points in the whole book of Mark. We see next the Pharisees rock up. Look at Verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus to test him. They asked for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, "Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it." Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. Uh, the language here that, that Mark uses is very aggressive, clearly the disciples, uh, the Pharisees come out with hostile intent they've come to interrogate Jesus and to, to put him through the ringer. And they say, give us a sign, you know, you know like feeding 4,000 people, maybe. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? They want confirmation. They, they, they want a sign that, that will tell them for sure, Jesus is who he says he is, that this is where he's from. They're ignoring everything that's happened before. Yeah, it's, it's like getting asked for ID when you've got the kids in tow. You're like, really? <laughs> you, need, you need more Confirmation? And Jesus is, Jesus is clearly, understandably frustrated. I mean, look what's happened. Look what he's seen, uh, demonstrated to them. And he sighs with exasperation and refuses them. <laughs> it's, a crazy, it's a crazy account, the, the way Mark stuck them together. After all they've seen, still they can ask for more. And Mark's point is clear, isn't it? There's no amount of signs No number of signs, no type of sign that's going to convince them. There's no miracle that's going to change these Pharisees' hearts. They're far away from him and no sign will change that. And so in a very symbolic sense, Jesus jumps in the boat, turns his back on them and leaves. But it gets even worse because now, now it's the disciples' turn. Look at verse 14. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? <coughs> it's, <laughs> it, it's laughable, is it? If it wasn't so sad, That the, the account is just crazy. You, you can't even write this sort of stuff. The, the the picture you get is Jesus and the disciples completely on different wavelengths. They're not even heading in the same direction, are they? The disciples are worried about whether they've got enough boat snacks. Jesus is worried about where their hearts are at and they just are not crossing over. You've got to wonder, you've got to wonder, why are they worried about food? What just happened? Surely one loaf is enough for 12 men. But Jesus' worry... Jesus' worry is very understandable. Don't be corrupted uh, by the yeast that is the false thinking and false teaching of the leaders of the day. Don't take that on. Don't have anything to do with it. It will ruin you. The Pharisees, they thought Jesus was a demon-possessed miracle worker. Uh, Herod thought he was John the Baptist, come back from the dead. And Jesus warns them, don't you too miss who I am. Don't forget who I am. All the signs are pointing to it. But of course they do. I mean the signs are clear. Jesus' Jesus' questions make that very obvious. Uh, The twelve and and the seven baskets, the feeding of all these thousands of people make it abundantly clear that Jesus is God's Uh, Son, Heaven's King, come to earth to bring his perfect kingdom, to establish it for the full number of Gentiles and Jews, to bring life and satisfaction and hope and restoration. It's all there right in front of them. It's not hidden, it's clear. And they don't get it. Despite everything he has said, despite everything he has done, despite everything they have seen, some don't want to believe, they just want more. Some just miss it because they're blind and they're deaf. Uh, to be honest, I can relate to missing the obvious. Um, <laughs> uh, as, as some of you know, I'm colourblind, um, red and green, colorblind. Uh Years ago, I remember uh, an occasion years ago, we were going for a fish in the central highlands, I think it was early summer, uh, and we're driving, driving through the highlands and... Um, Dad's commenting and look at all the Waratahs. I think they were Waratahs. Uh, look at all the Waratahs. Aren't they amazing? Look at the the flowers. Aren't they beautiful? I don't know. I didn't see them. I figured there must have been one or two and I just, we've just driven past them. I've missed them. But then again, later, Dad's like oh, look at them all. Isn't this amazing? Are you seeing these flowers? Aren't they beautiful? I don't know. What are you, what are you talking about? Well, it turns out uh, if you didn't know this, waratahs are red uh, and they have very green leaves, so I'm told. And apparently they're stunning. I've still never seen one in the wild. I've seen one in our garden and did, not that spectacular. <laughs> I haven't seen one uh, and apparently I can't see one. Just in case you are wondering, I can tell traffic lights apart though. But, but the same thing's happening here, isn't it? The same thing's happening to the disciples. What What's there to be seen is very plain, very obvious, but they just don't have eyes to see it. They don't have the ability to pick it up. And so even as these wonders, even as these signs, even as these words, words pile up in front of them, they continue to reject, they continue to misunderstand. They just don't have eyes to see and ears to hear. And you still hear it today, don't you? You hear people say, I've heard people say this, you know, if only, if only God or Jesus would just appear. (laughs) If only God, or if only Jesus, would just do this. You know, then I would believe. (laughs) Then Then I would definitely, I would have to believe. Well, actually, no. Actually, you probably wouldn't. It didn't work then, even when Jesus walked amongst people. Why would it be any different today? The problem is not a lack of signs, or a lack of evidences, or a lack of appearances, or whatever. The problem is hard hearts. Blind eyes, deaf ears. And we're told to expect it. This is not an accident that many people don't believe, that many people are resistant. It's not as if Jesus' work on earth is you know, critically flawed or failing to achieve its goals. God predicted this would happen even years before. And in fact, as we read on the sto- in the story, we see God even uses this and works through it. In fact, this unbelieving opposition becomes the linchpin to his plan because it's Jesus' unbelieving opponents that send him to the cross, which wasn't his greatest defeat, but his perfect triumph. Because there his plan is fulfilled and sins are forgiven and life is given fully and forever and he saves and satisfies his people. Believe in what he has done, talk about him, but don't be surprised when many, including your loved ones, including people who've heard it many times, don't be surprised when they don't respond. We can share the gospel, we can have great conversations, we can invite people to church and to events and they can come along and they can even show real promise and real interest and yet still reject and still turn their back and have no eyes to see and no ears to hear. A couple of years ago, I was at a church planting conference and the speaker there likened uh, evangelism in Australia to ploughing concrete. It's just hard work. But some will be saved. Some will be saved. That's God's promise, isn't it? God's promise encapsulated in this story is that the fullness of the Jews, the fullness of the Gentiles will come to him and will find life in him and will be filled in him. It will most certainly happen. He will not miss one. And it will happen around us and amongst us and through us. So have joy. (laughs) Persist in this work. Yes, it is hard. And it will continue to be hard. I can't promise any different to that. But it will proceed. It will most certainly happen. I mean it's, it's awful, isn't it? It's it's so terrible to see people keep rejecting, you know, people we care about, people we love, people we so want to find hope in Jesus. But we're called to persist. To keep on, even when it's hard, even when it seems futile. We're called to keep praying. Yes, people are deaf and blind, but remember what Jesus does. And we saw it last week. He he healed the deaf, didn't he? We're going to see it next week. He opens the eyes of the blind. And what he can do physically then, he can do spiritually today. He promises to do spiritually today. After all, he did it for you. He can do it for others as well. As we read on in this story, the disciples, they do finally come to understand and believe. If we go even further... To the book of Acts we see many amongst the Pharisees even putting their faith in him. Eyes opened, ears unstopped and that work continues today because the same word and the same spirit works today through us, opening eyes and ears. Don't be surprised, don't be dismayed when you're rejected but keep praying, keep praying in hope. Because what we have in Jesus is good. It's better than good. It is right. It is life and hope and satisfaction and eternity. It's something worth having a mum look at. Because it is all we need. It is all your family needs. It is all your friends need. It's all in him. Live it and speak it and pray that they would hear it. Let's do that now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you. Uh, We praise you because you have given us everything we need in Jesus. You've given us food for life. You've given us satisfaction that truly and eternally fills. For Father, he has given his life so that we can have life, forgiven and welcomed and called your children forever. Father, help us to remember... Uh, everything that we have in him. Help us to look to him and centre our lives on him and seek satisfaction in him and in him alone. Father, I give you thanks for each person here because each person here is a testimony that, to the fact that you still open ears and eyes to Jesus to receive the good news of him. Uh, it's a testimony to the power of your spirit working through your word. And Father, we pray that you would continue to do this Father, all around us, keep opening the eyes of the blind, keep unstopping the ears of the deaf, deaf, as we speak of Jesus, that they might receive him. Father, we know that he is what they're searching for, that he is what they need. And so we pray that you would please show mercy, help the deaf to hear, help the blind to see and to receive life in Jesus. Father, we pray this for our friends, for our family for the people we've met through mainly music and through so many other things. Lord, speak to them. Speak to them through us and work this powerful and wonderful work in their lives that they might receive him. In his name we pray. Amen.